Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Well, as you've heard it before, Christmas is a season of giving and it's a, a season of receiving. And I tell you what, as we are here today, I just want to just uh, say something you, you might already know, but I count it as a gift to be here with you every single weekend. I find it as a gift to be part of this family. You are a blessing to my life every day, a gift to my life, not just at Christmas, but all throughout the year. And I just want to thank you. Love you all uh, so much. And yeah, yeah, I do. You know, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. We can forget that at Christmas, right? We like to be on the receiving end. But I just want to remind us, it's more blessed to give because giving reminds us that God owns it all, that it all belongs to him, that we get to give out of the fact of all that he's given to us. And giving, you know, really exhibits the heart of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave fully. And, you know, giving reminds us that we also get a chance to advance God's kingdom. And you're seeing that right now in DJ's talking in our children's ministry. You're seeing it as we talk about really serving Cincinnati and all across this world. You help to advance God's kingdom when you give here. And I just want to remind you during this season of giving and receiving that uh, to give to this ministry, to give and support not just what we're doing here, but all across this world, advancing the name of Jesus. That's what we're about. And I encourage you to be part of it all. Well, ever since I was a child, I thought of Christmas the way that maybe you have as well. It's the most wonderful time of the year. That's what it was for me. It was huge. You see, when I grew up as a kid, my family didn't have a lot of money. I remember, I've told you before, that my father was disabled when I was 10 years old. My mom drove school bus part-time. So we didn't have a lot of cash. You can imagine that it was rare, if it ever occurred at all, for us to be given things to us by our parents growing up. No, if we needed something or we wanted something, we actually had to work for it. We had to earn it ourselves. But at Christmas, everything was different. It was wonderful. We'd gather around that Christmas tree to open those presents on Christmas Eve because my dad could never wait for Christmas morning. I actually liked that about him. I didn't want to wait either. And it was there on Christmas Eve when I would open up those gifts that had been especially selected for me. And the best thing about it all was they were free. I didn't need to work for them. I didn't need to pay for them myself. They were given to me free. And because I knew money was tight, though, I looked at every single gift like it was a treasure, because that's exactly what it was. You see, for me, growing up as a kid, the Christmas tree wasn't just a nice decoration. The Christmas tree represented love and life and giving. It was beautiful. It was powerful. Years later, of course, I married Carol. We began to have children of our own. And you know what? Christmas remained much the same. We would always celebrate opening gifts on Christmas Eve, never waiting for Christmas Day. And you know what? My kids, they would dance around that tree, jump up and down with full expectation for everything that was about to occur. It was huge. But then after one Christmas, my wife Carol came to me and she said, you know what, Phil? Next Christmas, I want it to be different. 
I want next Christmas to be more meaningful. Well, I thought it was. And then she said, next Christmas, I don't want to have a Christmas tree. No Christmas tree. She said, the true meaning of Christmas has never been about a tree. And I don't want our kids thinking that, you know, you can't have Christmas without a tree. And then she said, you know, next Christmas, I want to have an indoor manger scene with just, you know, some gifts gathered around it, but not too many gifts because I don't want our kids thinking that Christmas is about gifts either. Because Christmas isn't about a tree. It's not about us receiving gifts. And Carol rocked my world that night. No tree. I mean, the idea you can have Christmas without a Christmas tree. And I learned that next Christmas, the answer was yes, because that's what we had, a Christmas without a Christmas tree, and everybody lived. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) And yet the entire experience caused me to kind of investigate Christmas just a little bit more. I mean, is it wrong to have a Christmas tree at Christmas? You're going to learn more about trees this morning than you ever probably even care to even want to know. Uh, But I kind of investigated this. Is it wrong to have a Christmas tree at Christmas? And the first thing I learned was that the Christmas tree was pagan in origin. By pagan, I'm referring to those practices in religion that are not Christian. That would include Buddhism and Hinduism, Islam, Wicca, those who don't embrace any form of religion at all. See, paganism refers to, to worship where someone worships more than one God or no God. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when addressing the Romans, he wrote about paganism. And he describes those who are pagan as being worldly and materialistic. And then he just said, well, here's why they were this way. He said, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. He's saying, you know what, that's how they live, but don't you live this way. And yet as Christianity grew, what we see is that some pagan customs were incorporated into Christian traditions, and in particular, how we kind of celebrate Christmas now. And this was partially due because all groups back then had one thing in common. It was called the Winter Solstice Celebration. I don't want to bore you with all the details. Here's some of the characteristics, though. Not only was December the season of winter solstice, but between December 17 and 24, the Romans celebrated Saturnalia, a holiday in honor of their agricultural god. And this included seven days of giving gifts, feasting, and joy. Sounds a little bit like Christmas now. Other pagan roots during this holiday season included kissing under the mistletoe, decking the halls with holly, and singing carols by going door to door. Sounds a little bit more like Christmas, doesn't it? But what about that Christmas tree? We got them all up here. What about the Christmas tree? Well, the origins of the tree at Christmas go back to the European Saturn Festival, where evergreen branches were used to brighten outdoor and indoor spaces in in, in response to the dullness of winter. It was believed that these evergreens would keep away illness and evil spirits back then. And while this might have some ties to our Christmas trees now, in reality, it was the Germans who first introduced us to Christmas trees here in America. And by the 16th century, devout Christians began decorating trees and bringing them into their homes at Christmas. But this had nothing to do with paganism. In fact, some believe it was Martin Luther who first added lit candles to trees, which is, you know, a very dangerous addition, if you want to ask me, right? I mean, I don't know. That didn't seem like such a good idea. 
But whatever the case, by the late 1800s, the use of Christmas trees had become normative in everyday culture. And around that time, in history, decorations changed as well to include berries and nuts. Why? Out of respect for Psalm 136. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Well, chipmunks, squirrels, they love berries and nuts. And so we added berries and nuts. And then out of respect for Christmas, out of, out of, out of the Bible, we also added lights. Genesis 1 says, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars, which is why the star has emerged on top of the Christmas tree for a long time now. But those lights of decoration also extended the gospel message where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. So decorations at Christmas, especially on the Christmas tree, conveyed the power of our almighty God who decorated our world with light and salvation. Sounds powerful. And yet there were other Christians who looked at the Bible and because of what they saw in the Bible, they refused to use Christmas trees at all. Now before I read this scripture, I want you to know a few things about it. First of all, the words in this passage were spoken long before anyone thought that it would be something known as Christmas. In fact, these words are directly spoken in opposition to the culture in which Israel lived at that time. It wasn't speaking to all future cultures. Nevertheless, some Christians read this and thought, you cannot have a Christmas tree. Because this is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heavens. Though the nations are terrified by them. For the practices of the peoples are worthless. And here is the worthless practice. They cut a tree out of the forest. That's why we use pre-lit Christmas trees. You know, you don't have to do all the work, right? To cut it out of the forest, right? But I digress. It says, for the practices of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not Tutter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. And so it's probably a good idea for your Christmas tree not to totter. You know, I mean, it's probably good, right? These verses really have nothing to do with Christmas. They really don't. But this led me to investigate trees, though, in the Bible. Have you ever thought about that? You ever read through scripture and noticed the various use of trees? And here's what I discovered. The Bible consistently refers to trees. They're mentioned over and over again from beginning to end. In fact, one theologian wrote, there's a tree on the first page of Genesis, the first Psalm, the first page of the New Testament, and the last page of Revelation. Whether it is the fall, the flood, or the overthrow of the Pharaoh, every major event in the Bible has a tree marking the spot. Think about that. Every major event in the Bible has a tree marking the spot. Is that true? I think it is. And since that is true, wouldn't that have something to do with Christmas? That's a significant event. There should be a tree marking the spot. And some people say, well, you know, it's not so much at Christmas. It was a couple years later when the wise men came and Jesus was about two years old because the frankincense given to Jesus by the wise men came from the Boswellia tree. Did you know that? 
Or the myrrh that the wise men gave him came from the Camifera tree. Did you know that? But the truth is that was a couple years after Christmas. What about when Jesus was born in that manger? We'll get there. The Bible also refers to itself as a tree. In fact, just before making this reference, scripture tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will direct your paths. So God's word guides us. And that's why Proverbs continues to seem by not only saying that God's word guides us, by explaining what submitting to God's word will actually do to us and for us. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. So do you want to receive God's blessing? Then abide by God's word, the tree of life. And given that scripture refers to itself as a tree, it shouldn't surprise us then that we are instructed to be like a tree. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now at Hawking Hills, I don't know if you saw that image yet or not, there's two trees. If you go there, it's, it's kind of amazing. They're a reminder that we can be rooted in Christ even through great obstacles because the roots wrap around a solid rock and the roots go way down deep for nourishment. Jesus being the solid rock and the nourishment being Jesus the water of life. So as trees, we are to bear good fruit and much fruit. For Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Next weekend, we have our second Saturday service, an opportunity for us to be more fruitful. And so trees are utilized in the Bible from beginning to end. The Bible refers to itself as a tree. We are instructed to be like trees. And then many leaders in scripture are associated with the tree. Noah received an olive branch in Genesis 8. Abraham sat under the oaks of Mamre in Genesis 18. Moses stood barefoot in front of the burning bush in Exodus 3. Joseph was described as a tree in Genesis 49. Solomon used the cedars of Lebanon to build the temple. And Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man, right? He climbed up the sycamore tree in Luke 19. And the blind man saw people walking like trees in Mark 8. And Jesus died on a tree. In fact, the symbol of Jesus being lifted high up on a tree really is a, is a doorway to eternal life. Because Jesus said, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So trees, they are everywhere in scripture from beginning to the end. So where does the Bible first refer to Christ's birth in conjunction with a tree? Where is the tree at Christmas? Well, before I answer that question, we gotta understand the trees of Israel. It's really important. There are three. We already mentioned one, the vine. It's a symbol of Israel's spiritual privileges. And then there's the fig tree, a symbol of Israel's national privileges. And then there is the olive tree, a symbol of Israel's religious privileges. In fact, if you look in the gospels, Jesus refers to these three types of trees quite often. And yet it's the olive tree 
which we're now gonna focus as we now begin focusing on Christmas. Beautiful trees, beautiful trees. I remember traveling to Israel. My first time in seeing this, the Garden of Gethsemane, and seeing these olive trees that have been there for over 2,000 years, the same trees that were there when Jesus prayed. Pretty amazing. So the olive tree is one of the most frequently mentioned trees in the Bible. It's described as being thriving, beautiful, and fragrant. It also describes Jesus' Jewish roots and the relationships of Jews and Gentiles. But you see, when an olive tree gets really, really old, and it doesn't really bear the kind of fruit it needs to bear any longer, a farmer will cut it down, cut it down often to its stump. And as a result, new shoots will grow up from the old stump so a tree can actually begin producing olives once again. I actually witnessed this kind of thing with my neighbor some years ago. He had a tree in his yard very close to the street and a plow came through for snow and actually demolished that tree, if you will. I mean, just horrid. I mean, all these branches taken down. It looked like, you know, you should just cut the tree down at this point. And he did, in a sense, this old man, he would come out and he cut down even more of those branches and then he just left it. It was like ugly. And I thought, well, just tear the thing down. And then over time, he kept coming and pruning it even more. And as the years passed, what you see is this beautiful tree now. Pretty amazing. And this common practice was one that farmers embraced with a certain kind of tree that points us to Christmas. The Bible says he grew up before him. The Messiah, Jesus, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Friends, this passage talks about the birth of the Messiah 700 years before he was born. And I want you to under, notice the underlying phrases because they're crucial for us to understand. In fact, to better understand everything, let's start with the second phrase first. Jesus, the one born in that manger, was described as a tender shoot a young sapling of great promise and delicate stature. This speaks of Christ's frailty. As a baby born in swaddling clothes, Jesus would not be born into our world as one who is powerful, but as delicate and weak. And just as a tender shoot is fragile and has no protection from the elements, Jesus chose to be born to our world to a poor Jewish couple without protection of bodyguards or armies. And just like a tender shoe can be crushed quickly under the weight of just one boot, Jesus, this infant king, could be crushed by the power of Rome, King Herod. You see, Jesus was not born to a peaceful world. He was born to a battle zone. The Romans were incredibly violent and powerful, and they would literally crush anyone who dared to rise up against them. And yet Jesus, this tender shoe, would be protected by the sovereignty of the almighty God, a God of great providence and power. Jesus was also a root out of dry ground, a tree filled with life in a season of great drought. A drought, of course, speaks to a spiritual famine in the land. It's speaking of Israel. And why were they described this way? Because God had previously told the prophet Isaiah, to proclaim judgment on the Jewish people because they have been called to spread the name of the Lord and welcome people of other backgrounds and ethnicities into their ranks. But they didn't do that. 
They chose selfishness, not love. They chose disobedience, not holiness. And so while a remnant would be left, God said, but as the terebinth and oak trees leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So Israel, the Bible is saying, would be cut down because they fail to produce fruit. They are cut down just to the stump. But this is where the tender shoot would emerge and bear life and hope and transformation. The tender shoot is Jesus Christ, of course, would offer others life after he was hung in a very different kind of tree. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to that first phrase. He grew up before him means that Jesus was revealed to Israel from his birth through his death. The Gospel of Luke put it this way. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so from the moment of Christ's birth, through his years as a curious child, through his teenage season of learning, and ultimately through his adult years of ministry... Jesus was revealed to Israel over and over and over again through his character and through his love, through his ministry of serving and healing and his teaching and his truth and his death on a cross and ultimately through his resurrection. And while Jesus grew in favor with God and man, men and women would not recognize him. As Isaiah wrote, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. So it began as a tender shoot, a root out of dry ground, would grow up to be despised and rejected by his own, so that all who would later believe in him, repent, and follow him could find life and hope and salvation. So where then can the Messiah Jesus be found at Christmas? Well, right there in the manger. But where could the shoot of the tree be found? Right there in the manger. And where could the root of the tree be found? Right there in the manger. You see, when you look inside the manger, what we really should see biblically and theologically is, first of all, this stump which represents Israel being cut down, and then Jesus Christ, this baby being born, a tender shoot rising up from Israel because it's through Jesus that the world's gonna find life, hope, and salvation. So we look and we see this baby, but we also see the beginning of a very powerful and transformational tree. And what kind of tree did Jesus give life to? We're going to talk about that next weekend. I have some guests with me. Don't miss next weekend as we take a look at the tree that Jesus gave life to at Christmas. And then the following weekend, we're going to focus on another kind of tree that gave birth to Christmas as well. Have you seen these trees at Christmas? Or have all you seen is maybe these kind of trees, the evergreen trees, and you've missed the beautiful, powerful tree that has been there all along. You see, friends, the Christmas trees have much to do with you and me. They have everything to do with you and me. See, Jesus was born as the root of the tree so that one day he could offer life to all those who would follow him and believe in him. In order to do that, he went to a very different kind of tree, the tree of Calvary, 
Oh yes, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. And so on that night, Jesus gathered with his disciples. And they heard all his teachings about these trees. One teaching after another about trees. You say, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You can find no life apart from me. You're saying, I'm a tree. Are you attached to me? Because if you are, you will find life. But because we were filled with sin and death, Jesus went to that other tree. And he met with his disciples. He said, this is my body. Broken for you. Broken. So that you and I could know life. With the bread in front of you, you can take that off the top of your packaging there. If you could just take just a piece of that bread. Jesus was born as a baby. He is that tender shoot, the root out of dry ground, giving birth to a very different kind of tree. But in order for us to know life, he had to die on the tree of Calvary. Friends, let's take, let's eat. Let's remember him. And Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood. Poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Oh yes, his blood would flow all the way down that tree of Calvary, all the way to the ground. His blood touches us. If you've been redeemed, if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, will you drink now and remember him? Jesus, we thank you. Lord, every year we come and we celebrate Christmas and sometimes I think we miss the power of Christmas. We miss some of what you were saying all along that we've missed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being born in that manger, a root out of dry ground, to give birth and life to a tree that we get to be part of. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your obedience. Lord, we thank you for your willingness to suffer on our behalf, that you would be broken and that you would bleed, that you would die and take the sins of all of us upon yourself. And you would rise again so that we could know life, life everlasting. Jesus, you are our leader. You are our guide. You are our shepherd. You are our friend. You are the lover of our souls. And you are the king of kings. In response to all of that and more, Lord, we worship you. We worship you. Thanks for listening. 
You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.